So we are in our OT series, which stands for the Old Testament. Now, this is a question I usually ask my kids' church kids, but what differentiates the Old Testament from the New Testament? High schoolers, do you know? What's different? Alex is in kids' church. He serves in there. I'm not going to ask him. I'm not going to ask him. Okay, Espen, you are a kids' church OG. What is it? No pressure. Jesus. I'm so glad you got that right, Espen. Okay, yes, it's Jesus. So the Old Testament is the stories that took place before Jesus came to earth. The New Testament is when Jesus comes to earth and a little bit afterwards, okay? So these are some old school stories and my favorite books of the Bible, favorite stories in the Bible are in the Old Testament. And tonight we're talking about a man named Elijah. Now, Elijah, there's a lot of words to describe the guy, but um, he, was, he was crazy, all right? Let's just say that. And he was known for one particular story in the Bible. And we're going to go into that story, but first you need to know some context, okay? I'm a history major. Context is important. So Elijah was a prophet of God. The only problem was Elijah was so outnumbered at this time in history because the king and queen of this time were evil, Straight up evil, their names were Jezebel and Ahab, and they were having their people and their kingdom fall under the reign of a different God named Baal. So they were saying, okay, all of you people, you need to stop worshiping the God of Israel, our God, Elijah's God, and you need to start worshiping the God of Baal. Now, Baal is just a statue, completely fake, no power behind it. And so God tells Elijah, dude, I need your help getting my people to come back to me to wake up and realize that I am the one true God. And I want you to do this showdown style. I want you to have a face-off against their little G God of Baal and me. And so this is what happens. Elijah's like, all right, man, I got you. And then starts the showdown. We pick up the story in 1 Kings 18. So Ahab, which was the king, summoned all of the people Everybody was summoned, including the prophets of Baal to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of all of these thousands of people and he said this to them. How much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? Next slide. If Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. We're not saying anything. Yeah, silent. That means be quiet. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now, bring two bulls. Next slide. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it Perfect. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood on the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the prophets agreed. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We agree. Pause the story for a second. This is weird. Okay. Old Testament, they made sacrifices back then. Do we still make sacrifices? If you do, you're in the wrong church. Walk out immediately, okay? We don't do that anymore because Jesus paid the ultimate price as the ultimate sacrifice. So back then, basically, Elijah's like, okay, you guys make sacrifices to your God. I do to mine as well. We will prove who the one true God is by seeing which God lights which altar on fire. 
So they're not lighting the fire. The God is. And so Elijah's like, okay, Baal, if you're real, show up. Light your altar on fire. If not, I know my God is going to come through. So then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, you go first. Gladly. This is our version of what happens. The prophets of Baal. We prep it. This is a prime cut. They prepare the bull, okay? That's that's the bull budget cuts, okay? And they begin to pray to Baal around the bull. Bail! Hey, Bail! Hey, Bail! Hey, Bail! Hey, Bail! We didn't start the fire. You do it! Boom! Boom! Bail! Hey, Bail! Okay, so they do this from morning to afternoon. Hours pass by and nothing happens. Literally nothing, not even a spark. So then they decide, okay, let's start dancing okay, around yeah. it. Start dancing around. Wow. Yeah. Uh-huh. Those dance moves will light it up for sure. Hey, bam. Boom. Nope. Okay. So they dance around it for hours. Still nothing. Nothing from the God. And at this point, Elijah begins to mock the prophets and say things like, uh, you'll have to shout louder. <laughs> he scoffed, for surely he is God. Perhaps he is daydreaming or relieving himself. That's going potty for you playing at home. <laughs> or maybe he's away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be woke up. So my favorite part is they actually listen Good to his point. advice. Good they start advice. to shout louder. Hey, try it. Bail! Bail! It's impressive. Shut up. Next. <laughs> Next, they begin to slash themselves with knives and swords, as was their weird custom. Uh, it's, it's in the Bible. Oh. Wait. Oh, ow. Yeah. Ow, these hurt. Ah, that does hurt. <laughs> okay, I guess that's fine. So they, they raved all afternoon. Until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still, there was no sound, (laughs) there was no reply, and there was no response. Okay, so now the whole day has passed. It's Elijah's turn to step onto the scene. If you're Google, Elijah, he kind of liked to flex a little bit, and so he decides he is going to drench the altar and the bowl completely in water, okay? He didn't want this to be a coincidence if this thing lights up, so he's drenching everything in water. It's it's fantastic, Kyle. We'll see how it works out for him. You want to make sure it's water, not not anything flammable? Yeah, taste it. Here, take a big drink. I really don't want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) It's water, I promise. Okay, so he drenched the altar, and then this is what he prayed. (laughs) <laughs> oh, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. Lord, answer me. Answer me so that these people will know that you, oh, Lord, are their God and that you have brought them back to you yourself. Immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven. Wow, that was a lot of gunpowder. That's pretty awesome. 
It flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, the dust. It even licked up the water in the trench. And then all of the people saw it. They fell face down on the ground. And they cried out, the Lord. The Lord. He is God. He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Yes, the Lord is God. That was redundant. Yes, that was redundant. I am stupid. I am stupid. Then... Elijah slaughters all 450 prophets. Wait, hold, yeah. hold Come the on, phone. guys. Yeah. Come hold here. The phone. Let's he party. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Come on back. <laughs> okay, I put the scriptures up there because I wanted you to know that actually happened. Like, I didn't make any of that up. That's straight from the Bible. Would you all want to mess with Elijah? Nuh-uh. The guy was crazy, okay? He was a bad fill-in-the-blank. I don't know how else to describe him. He called down fire from heaven. He killed 450 people. That's insane. Now you might think, okay, Elijah, this guy was legit. He must have come from a long line of other prophets, maybe other priests. He probably went to some fancy religious school. He had a great upbringing. He had lots of resources at his disposal. How else could a guy come into this position with this type of clout? But that wasn't at all the case. See, Elijah didn't have that kind of background. Instead, he came from nothing. And his life before all of this was anything but easy. Elijah, he was a Tishbite. Now, this is not anything that you should recognize because what are Tishbites? They're nothing in the Bible. In fact, geologists and archaeologists have tried to find where this location could possibly be, and they find nothing because it's obscure, it's tiny, it's a little bit irrelevant. And then when you look at the greater area, the Tishbite was in Gilead. Now, Elijah was also a Gilead man, and this translates to rocky rocky or rugged. So Gilead means rocky or rugged. So think hill country, covered in dense forests, wild, remote, uncivilized. Elijah wasn't this clean-cut priest or pastor or prophet. He was a mountain man, tough, adventurous, uncivilized. His head was topped with like the longest matted hair. He had tanned, leathery skin. This guy came from the wild. He wasn't groomed in sophisticated manners of the city. He didn't have credentials or connections. This guy was a shepherd, so he spent hours of his days in the cliffs with just animals, silence and solitude. Elijah came from a hard and a rough place, an obscure place, one that was built to prepare him for what would later be in store. So my question for you tonight is, have you come from a place like this, come from hardship, challenge, loneliness, obscurity? Have you questioned why God put you into that situation and why he allowed you to go through it? Well, the various events and circumstances that have contributed to your life up until this point, you need to understand, those have not been accidental. Those were all planned by God. They're not wasted parts of your process, even if they were difficult, even if they excluded you from certain privileges that in your opinion could have propelled you further, faster, Even the evil that's been done against you by people who wish to harm you has not been a total loss. Now, this doesn't excuse their wrongdoing or make it to where their pain isn't real that they've caused you, but it adds a layer of perspective 
and hope that I hope you see tonight. Genesis 50, 20 explains all of this in one beautiful verse. It says, God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result. For Elijah, the fact that he was raised in that type of environment, the fact that he wasn't brought up around these cultured tastes and people, that he had no lineage or pedigree even worth mentioning in the Bible, there was a reason for that. Set the stage for what God had planned for him. See, God used it to give Elijah a clear, objective view of the evil that existed in Israel. In other words, God didn't want Elijah to grow up in the big city with all of these accesses to all these resources, because what was happening in the city? They were worshiping Baal. They were following a corrupt king or queen, and so God was protecting by Elijah by putting him in Gilead. He didn't want the influence of the city to dull his sense of personal relationship with God. He also didn't want Elijah to have to feel this need to impress others, which he surely would have if he'd grown up in that city. And these two things together made him the ideal mouthpiece for one of the coolest stories in the entire Bible, the one that would bring these people back to him. Psalm 119 says this, my suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. Your instructions, they're more valuable, valuable to me than millions in gold and silver. You made me. You created me. Now give me the sense to follow your commands. See, during Elijah's years before he made it into the Bible while in Gilead, he somehow came to know, to really know God. Maybe it was his father or his mother who taught him this record of God's faithfulness to Israel. Maybe it was some of the older shepherds in the field that he worked around that would point out God's living, active, moving presence. Maybe it was the quietness of performing his everyday shepherding tasks. But Elijah knew God, and he could sense him. And this is what prepared him to be his representative. One way or another, while doing this tedious, mundane, lonesome work, while facing hardships that we would never know because they'll never be recorded, Elijah had been exposed to influences that convinced him that God wasn't just one among other options. There's somebody that's super, super close to me in my life. I've known them for as long as I can remember. And this woman is absolutely the strongest woman that I know. And she hears from the Lord in a way that absolutely blows my mind. And she has ministered to me in the most beautiful way and so many other women like me. She's empowered them to be better versions of the selves. Now, she's a godly woman. She's a righteous woman. She has a close, personal, intimate relationship with God. And yet, she has had one of the hardest lives of anyone that I've ever known. Just to give you a sense of the person that I'm talking about, she had a baby at 16 years old and had to raise this baby without the presence of the father. Then a little bit later, once she finally had a family, she was married, she had four kids, she was happy, she was diagnosed with cancer, and a really, really bad one. Then she kicks cancer, she kicks its butt, she totally recovers, her kids are finally out of the house, she can kind of live her life for the first time, and then she finds out that she's diagnosed with lupus. Just three things that I'm mentioning here. Well, so many other things have happened. And I look at her life, and I wonder, how? 
how do you still have faith? How do you still serve this God that we all know so diligently, so lovingly, so selflessly? And why would God allow this to happen? And the truth is, I don't know. What I do know is that there is not a single person who has had a greater impact on my life. What I do know is that she walked along my side after countless heartbreaks because no one has had their heart broken more than her. I know that she was able to walk me through my own health issues because no one understands better what it feels like to have their own body fail them. I know that she delivered some of the most important spot-on spiritual words of wisdom that encouraged me in the perfect moments. I know that she was able to use her pain and sorrow and testimony to help me with my own, and that without her, I wouldn't be standing up here tonight. Her life has been incredibly difficult, and yet I know that if I were to go to her and say, what would you change? If you could go back and change anything, your health diagnosis, your problems with your family, would you? And she would say, no. Because everything that happened to her, she was able to use for good time and time again. Her purpose was brought out through her process. And without that process, she wouldn't have been able to minister she wouldn't have been able to have the impact. She wouldn't have been able to say, whatever happens to me, I don't care. I just want to be able to serve your kingdom. My favorite verse in the Bible, Job 23.10, it says, but he knows where I'm going. And when he tests me, I will come out as pure as gold. So how is he testing you? What is he preparing you for? Because maybe you can relate to Elijah. You can relate to this mentor that I have in my life. Maybe you felt like your life has been an uphill battle. All 13, 14, 15, 16, 18 years that you've been on this earth has been hard. Maybe you felt like you grew up in a really rough environment like Elijah. Parents are fighting, drinking. Maybe you never even met your parents. Maybe you never feel like you have enough money or you don't even feel safe in your home. Maybe some of you look at your high school and you think, this is not safe. This is not okay. How can I spend the next four years here? Maybe you feel overlooked or unseen, like you're separated from everything that's happening. Maybe you have a sibling that always gets all of the attention because they're such a mess, and you try and be perfect because you don't want to make things worse, but you feel like your parents never even see you too busy, got too much going on. Maybe you feel like your teachers or your coaches or your pastors never even pay attention to you because they've got other stuff. Maybe you feel alone, isolated, struggling to make friends. Maybe something else. When will you finally be able to come out as pure as gold? When will he finally turn it for good? Now, I am no Elijah, obviously. Um, I didn't do anything compared to what he accomplished, and I definitely did not grow up in a rough or ragged environment, okay? I grew up in the Redlands, okay? So my life, nothing <laughs> compared to him. But I do know what it feels like to come from a place of obscurity, to feel unknown or unseen, 
to feel like I would never be old enough, smart enough, liked enough, respected enough to do what I really wanted to do. To feel like my gender or my age was always limiting me. I know what it feels like to be trapped in the shadows while everyone else seems to be out there shining. I know what it feels like to be backstage while others run the show. I remember the impatience and the frustration of feeling trapped by my own circumstances. I just wanted to fast forward to a different season. I just wanted to get out of there because I felt so helpless, so alone. I didn't want to be in this preparation phase for the rest of my life. But what I didn't realize is that before I could get to where I was going, I had some things to learn. The first thing was I was so overly dependent on my own capabilities, what I could do as opposed to what God could do. He had to break me to see that it had nothing to do what I could do. The next thing I had to learn is that I could choose growth or I could choose control, but I couldn't have both. And at that point, I wanted to control everything. I wanted to make sure that everything was exactly how I wanted it. Why? Because that made me feel safe. That made me feel secure. But there would be no growth. I had to learn these things. My purpose was brought out through that process, but not anytime sooner. Elijah wouldn't have been Elijah without Gilead. He learned in Gilead. It's where he's from. It's where his heart was formed. It's where his personal set of trials and difficulties became the start of a process. The backside of that raw, rugged desert was God's way of bringing Elijah around to know him in a way that he couldn't have experienced otherwise. Then he was ready to declare God's word with boldness and authority. Then he was ready to call down fire from the heavens. Where have you come from? What have you been through? It wasn't a waste. It wasn't an accident. All of it has been preparing you for a purpose that is bigger and better than anything that you could ever imagine. And he's got it planned for you. Zechariah 4.10 says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Don't despise the small beginnings because God is rejoicing. He's saying, yes, this is the beginning of something amazing. This is the beginning of the rest of your life. I'll teach you things. I've got your back. You will never face a battle that you cannot handle because I will make sure that you go in prepared, knowing who I am, knowing that you can trust me no matter what prophets or stupid things that you face. You will have that history with me where you will know that you will know that you will know that I am real. Each one of you has a purpose. And it may not seem like that while being stuck in Grand Junction High School. It may not seem like that right now. But I promise you, it's coming. And when it comes, be so much better his way. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for your word. I love that we get to come here and learn about it and take a look at these stories and be able to apply them to our own lives. I pray for the blessing of Elijah to come over each and every one of us here in this room tonight, where we can step firmly and boldly and confidently into our own faith, 
that we can know that you will show up for us through the fire. And we can also know that this preparation phase is designed by you, ordained by you, and that you will never give us more than we can handle. We look forward to our stories with you and how they will continue to unfold. We love you so much, and it's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.